Hey there, everyone. I'm Zach Rusk of the Tuscarawas County Convention and Visitors Bureau. Tuscarawas County is packed with exciting and interesting historical sites and museums, from the Denison Depot, Historic Zor Village, the Ernest Werther Museum, and several more. Every one of these places has a fascinating story to tell and experience to share. But one man works as an unsung hero of the history scene. George Lawrence and his business, Museum Acrylics, are responsible for making sure that the objects of history not only stay immortal, but look good while doing so. Today, George tells us about his successes both local and nationwide, as well as how he adds that special something to your favorite exhibit on the other side of Tusk. Welcome back to the other side of Tusk. I'm here with George Lawrence of Museum Acrylics. George, I thought we'd start with you telling us a little bit about Museum Acrylics and what it is you do. Well, I've been in the business, I guess, 44 years. And when I say that, that is the, the plastics business per se. I gone to University of Maryland back, uh, started in 76, and you know, you graduated in 81. And uh, I had gotten into that with, with the intent of actually getting into uh, consumer products and design, you know, plastics, everything from water bottles to tricycles, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I found I didn't really like that. I uh, had always been a big history lover and, and the arts. And uh, during my third year at college, I interned at a company in, uh, in the D.C. area called Capital Plastics. They, they did a lot of biomed stuff and automotive thermoforming. But they had a, a division that did museum showcases for the Smithsonian. And I said, wow, this is kind of cool. And, and my old boss, he left and he went to Wales and decided to get married and left me holding the, uh, the rope, so to speak. So I was thrown into the deep end, and even though I've been a museum lover for years, I, now I ran that part of the thing. And I turned uh, what was about a 5% representation in sales to about 30%. We did a lot of Smithsonian, a lot of National Park Service, and stuff like that. So what sort of services do you provide to museums, exactly? Back in, in 96, I started my own company. I left Capital Plastics. I always wanted to get into this giving something back to the community because you know, the arts and, and history is so important. Uh, but I always wanted to, to get involved in that. So when I, I started out here, I found a niche because I had read about Ohio and, and I realized all the fun, cool, historic things that are in this area. There's such variety from railroad history to the Revolutionary War, to Civil War, uh, you name it. And I had a talent for working with the acrylic, which uh, we, you know, we do a very rare thing in that there aren't many companies that do what we do that are just museum related. So many of them do other things. They, they may do automotive work and such, but I focus it just on doing museum showcases, cabinet work, object mounts lighting, you name it. It'd be a full-service museum business for what we do. So I know you've done model work for us at the CVB, um, places like the Maslin Museum. When you're constructing things like that, like, the, for example, the Fort Lawrence model that's in the lobby of the CVB, do you design the model itself or just the acrylic casing? Yes and yes. In, in this case, in the case of the one here at the CVB, that was built by somebody else. I designed and built the table that it sits on and the acrylic. That's really our main function is that if there's an object or there's an artifact that is you know, in the works, we will design around it to make it educational, fun, accessible, you know, aesthetically pleasing. Now, in the case of model building, what we do do, though, when we design a job, uh, like presently I'm working on the Zor Museum, we're doing the best of Zor exhibit. That starts from the ground up as a concept, just sitting down and brainstorming with the customer and say, well, what do you guys want? What are your needs? And you know, we do a needs analysis and we find out what the customer wants. We look at the space. We come up with this, in some cases, harebrained idea, which is a lot of fun <laughs> because we do a lot of unique things with different materials and different looks. But we start with doing a model as opposed to just drawings because I've sat around many a boardroom table during museum meetings with everybody and looking at the set of drawings and going, what am I looking at? 
Well, if you do a model, you know, uh, where a picture may speak a thousand words, a model speaks a million. You know, you can see what the basic idea is. And that's going to change. You know, it, you know the, the model may totally change. I've done some that were totally different than when we started, we ended up with. But the idea, the basic concept was there. What are some other examples of your work guests can find locally in Tuscarawas oh, County? There's so much. Oh, gee, it's amazing. So much in, in the state of Ohio. And then we have so much in Tuscarawas County. Denison Depot, of course, Tolan Herzig Funeral Home. And we're working on the second one up in Strasburg, Alpine Hills. Museum. Uh, there's just, uh, you know, of course, Fort Lawrence and Zor, and uh, you know, those are the ones that are close that are very accessible. One thing I wanted to, well, I wanted to bring up from what I've gathered, you had quite a heavy hand in the Welcome to Our City sign. Is that oh, true? Oh yeah, I designed the whole thing as far as the uh, reboot of it, so to speak. It was, uh, yeah, to give you a brief history, it was put up in 1912 as a promotional gimmick. Uh, it was put up there. It was about to fall apart in 1946, so they, they took it down. And then uh, back during the uh, New Philly Bicentennial, Alan Rodriguez with House of Stones approached me and said, Hey, George, do you know that part that, that sign is in, a, in my attic? And I went, Really? Because I've always loved that kind of mechanical advertising, that that old early 20th century look. Uh, I said, well, let's let's look at it. Well, we went up there, we climbed and got filthy dirty, back when I can climb by my knees. <laughs> and uh, we went in and found the words to our city. And those are original. That's the only part of that sign that is actual from the original sign. So we, we fabricated the word welcome. We made a new frame. The old frame was wood, and that's why it was falling apart. This frame is steel. And uh, in 2004, actually 2003, the week before Thanksgiving, we put it up on the roof, so it's now more than 20 years old. It was kind of fun. We had it wired, and we went through the whole thing. But yeah, I designed the entire thing from ground up, literally, and then we had it hoisted onto the roof. And then, unfortunately, uh, three years now, a windstorm, we had a wind shear. It actually sheared off the stainless steel bolts, That's the, which uh, was amazing. I've never seen that happen, but caused it to fall over. And we uh, redesigned it and uh, remounted things, and it's a lot better. But yes, that was that was my baby, and still is. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And it's great work. It's one of the most striking things about driving through this oh, downtown thank you, square. Thank you. To be abundantly clear, we're talking about the uh, welcome to our city sign you might see at the square of downtown New Philadelphia. So George had quite a heavy hand in that, as you just heard. I want to circle back to the work that you do for museums because... Sure. Oh, yeah. I know, especially when I jumped in looking at a business called Museum Acrylics, it's easy to assume you just build cases. But it sounds like there's oh, quite yeah. a bit more than that. It sounds like it's a, a bit of production, a bit of enhancing of work, making it more attractive and more appealing to the eye. Oh, yeah, yeah. Two, two I can think of right, right right, offhand that were very high profile that everybody knows about. I used to do a lot of work as a contractor for the Smithsonian. Uh, this is actually before I had my company, but I still was in the, in, in the business. We, I worked on both Apollo 11, uh, command module, and the Enola Gay. With Apollo 11, we, we actually covered the entire capsule in acrylic. And we had formed the panels. We designed it. Yeah, you know, from an engineering standpoint, it was really quite uh, unique. But well, the fun part was actually putting it together because you had to put it together in the gallery with everybody watching. And it was done in back in 1994. Yeah, that was for the big anniversary. And then, uh, then a year later, in in 95, we did the Enola Gay, the, the Air and Space Museum, which is also you know where of course the uh, the Apollo 11 capsule is. The Enola Gay was being restored for the 50th anniversary of the bomb drop, and uh, the Silver Hill Restoration Group out of uh, Air and Space had restored the Enola Gay from the cockpit to the bomb bay. It's quite a large ship. It's now out totally completed and restored at Dulles Airport in Virginia. But we had done a cover for the wing route, which is the uh, yeah, the large open area where the wing attaches to the fuselage. And they wanted a cover because, unfortunately, they were afraid that during the opening ceremonies, there would be blood balloons thrown at the ship. But uh, we... Uh, I made this really cool 19-foot-long curved contoured vitrine showcase, totally clear, to, uh, to cover the, uh, the starboard side. But that's the kind of work we do. We just don't do standard boxes, so to speak. Uh, I mean, we do a lot of that. That's the bread and butter. 
But the fun of it is, and the and the challenge is working on these odd shapes. I've done some really fun things, like we did uh, a six-foot ice core sample for the Cleveland Museum of Natural History. It was a two-inch diameter, six-foot-long tube of acrylic, and it looked just like ice. If you were looking at this, you'd say that's ice. We I la- actually laminated I went through different series with putting soil samples from the proper color of the soil that would have existed in Greenland at the time. At the different levels, we actually put small insects in the interface layers of the way it actually is now when they're pulling them at ice core. That, that goes a thousand feet. That's what we like to do is make things look unusual out of acrylic that you would that never think is acrylic. But uh, And then uh, Maslin Museum, another example. Uh, years ago, there was a local dentist, Dr. Immel, who had built a circus. You know, as a boy, he was in love with the circus and was very good with his hands and just fine model work and, and such. And he built handmade everything. I mean, everything from the clowns carrying the balloons to the little dog urinating in the fire hydrant. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. But unfortunately, it was all open. And, it, and over years, it got so dusty. So Alex Kuhn approached me years ago and said, well, we want a cover for this. But it was a challenge because the base it was on was L-shaped. And we had to make it changeable at the same time, uh, you know, it, it just accessible and viewable. So we did a series of curved acrylic panels that all contoured and they're custom fit. And the entire thing is acrylic, even the side posts. So we designed it to be maintained and cleaned out and lights changed and things like that so the different modules come apart. Let's talk about the manufacturing process. Um, sure, is everything yeah. designed and constructed at your facility in For the most part, yeah. yeah I, I do sub out certain things. Like I don't have the capability to do graphics in-house, but I have a good bunch of three, three companies that work so well for me and with me. Uh, First Stop Signs here in Philadelphia uh, is responsible for all my text graphics and you know things dealing with the written word and, and all that. They do a, mar- a marvelous job. Solution Imaging for all my photographic work. And then I work with ProArt Signs up in in Canton for doing all my large murals. They do direct-to-surface printing. And in fact, they're, yeah, they're doing all the work. We have the Best of Zor exhibit that we're doing. They're doing all the mural, all the background murals. Uh, metal work, I, I work with uh, DJ Welding down in Eurexville. They're a great company to work with. Gallic Sheet Metal here in, in New Philly. But for the most part, we do all our woodwork, all our acrylic work we do in-house. Uh, and, and a lot of it is the cabinetry. A museum exhibit pedestals. The, the hanging wall shelves, the you know, the units of uh, my main guy, Brendan Wyant, presently is doing that right now. He's, as I left him about half an hour ago, he was building uh, some, some units for the Zor exhibit. What does the manufacturing of acrylic cases actually look like? Well, we start with a raw sheet. Basically, we, you know, it's a sheet process in that I will buy from local distributors, but primarily I, I work with Piedmont Plastics and Akron uh, as my main uh, supply source. But it starts as typically anywhere between a 4x8 and a 6x8 sheet of acrylic. And we work with anything from quarter inch thick, you know, and 3 eighths, those represent the, you know, the vast majority of the thicknesses. But we work with a half inch, three quarter. I do a lot of stuff for universities, sports through uh, 49 degree. Uh, the company out in uh, Western Ohio, we do a lot of half inch acrylic for like Vanderbilt University and other sports memorabilia places. So it's, you know, it's sort of like the Football Hall of Fame, but for colleges. I had the privilege of doing the preamble to the U.S. Constitution. And we did that in an inch and a quarter acrylic. An inch and a quarter acrylic is bullet resistant. At that point, that's when the thicknesses become bullet resistant. Of course, thicker is better. So we get to work with the very thick materials for furniture making as well. But it all starts as a sheet process. And it goes, you know, we, we go through different designs as far as is, is it going to be curved? Is it square? Is it is it rectangular? Whatever. We cut it uh, and we machine it. Uh, and it's all by hand. There's no CNC here. It's all done by hand. And that's actually, we find it very efficient. Uh, we all use all carbide tooling, which we don't use high-speed tooling because uh, acrylic is very heat-sensitive and stress-sensitive. So 
you can build up a lot of stress from machining, and then you have to go through different annealing processes to make it work. But if you play your cards right, you use the carbide saw blades, joiners, and, and etc. You you get a really beautiful edge, and from there you you go through jigging processes. And if you're making a box, you start uh, as a U-shaped side, and then you glue the side, you know the the ends to it, and, and, and you run a monomeric acrylic uh, adhesive. We don't use solvent the way you know many places do, which is uh, methylene chloride is the accepted solvent for working with acrylic, but it's not attractive. It's very strong. In fact, stronger than the monomeric acrylic that we uh, use, which we're basically casting a liquid acrylic in the seam. And there's a uh, there's a gap process. We actually have to gap the surface or the uh, the interface at a certain angle. And we try to keep about a 10 to 20 thousandths inch gap to allow for shrinkage. And when we cast this, after it cures, which is about an hour and a half to two hours, we then route it off and we go through a, a five-stage polishing process, you know, from routing, sanding, all the way up to buffing, which is equivalent to about 3,000 grit uh, sanding process if you put, put it in the equivalent of like a sandpaper. And, uh, and we come up with a really nice polished edge. And, and that's it. And we can keep a really good tolerance. Our tolerance is usually plus or minus a 32nd of an inch. And that's, a, that's better than the shop standard within this industry. You know, what I find interesting about your work is it's sort of like a good film editor in a way. If you're doing it effectively, people won't really notice you've done anything at all. They'll just be able to yes. appreciate what they see and like, yes. oh, this looks really good. Well, and that's the idea. You know, it's kind of funny. In this kind of business, you don't want to see the acrylic. You, you, the, you know, when we're doing an object, just say we're doing some really cool artifact. Okay, a great example, you know, the U.S. Constitution. If you go to the National Archives in D.C. and you want to look at the Constitution, Constitution, you don't want to look at the acrylic. It needs to disappear. And the the beauty of what we do, we, we're one of the few companies in the country that cater just to museum business, and that's it. You have a lot to do other things. But the process we use, which is called a monomeric process, where we're actually taking an acrylic monomer and polymerizing it, cross-linking it at, you know, within the seam itself. So when we do this, the idea is you don't want to see the seam. Because if you look at a, if you go to museums and you look at a lot of showcases, uh, they're ugly <laughs> in many cases. Just because of the process they use, there's there's going to be bubbles, there's going to be you know white spots, other inclusions, and just problems from age and because it doesn't age well. Uh, and the seam shows up uh, more than sometimes the object that's in it, and your your eye is drawn right to that to the box. And sure, you're looking at the object, but you sort of do that side eye thing like. At least I do. You know, we go to a museum and I, I tend to, first thing I look at is not the object, is the is how they built it, which is really bad. I mean, it's a bad habit. But uh, yeah, the, the process is very, very unique. And the, the point is, though, you want to be able to not see the vitrine, not see the showcase and look at the object. One thing we do, we pride ourselves in are the object mounts. We do a lot of mounts for objects. And there's different ways of doing this. Some do uh, mounts out of metal, some do mounts out of wood, and depending on the object, we take into account the conservation of the object, and certain materials are not meant to be used to mount. Like you don't want to hold a football with a wood mount because the leather will be uh, damaged by the acids in the wood. Things like this. But we do a lot of clear mountings, and what's cool is it makes it look like they're floating if we can. We want that invisibility idea so that the object, like how did they do that? You know, we, we, we like to raise that raise the question if they are going to look at the object great but if they are going to look at how we built it we like to raise that question like how did they do that <laughs> which is kind of fun you know well i don't want to rewrite anyone's perception of how they see museums but maybe next time you're in someplace just like zor village maybe think think about how something like that might be made and 
the work that went into that. Sure. So George, listening to you talk and you know just the, the time that we've shared together, obviously you know a lot. Listeners won't be able to see this, but he's had a great big smile on his face for about 60% <laughs> of this. Um, it, what you, it's clear that you love this job. What do you love about your job? I, a lot of people have asked me that. I think the thing I like is being able to be part of giving to the community and sharing the history and, and the arts too, because I, we do a lot of stuff for art museums as well. You know, it, you know, it, it's probably about fifty-fifty between art museums and and history. But and, and there's science centers thrown in there too. But being able to, especially with children's exhibits, I like I love doing children's exhibits because I love to have the kids be educated in a way that's fun. Because one of the biggest problems that you see in, in anybody in the museum world, locally and around the world, will 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 probably agree with me, saying that the public sometimes just is so indifferent to history. Either they don't know or they don't care. I mean, it's amazing, you know, working at Schoenbrunn as a volunteer over the years, the, the number of people say, I've never been here. And I, I grew up in New Philly, you know, or they were here when they were in fourth grade during their, you know, grade school trip. But the idea of being able to give back to the community is important. And if this is the way I can do it, I, it's great. And I think it's so important that we educate people on the history. I don't care what the history is. And and uh, you know and there's a there's a lot of history that is very controversial and bring it on man we we need to show people and not rewrite history we need to show people how things were what happened how it affected society how it affect culture how it affect industry agriculture whatever and it starts with the kids you know I've done a lot of children's exhibits o- over the years and that's really part of it but any adults too you want to be able to educate. But at the same time, it has to be fun because what happens is you design an exhibit that can be really dry. And I've been to, you know, hundreds over the years that you go to an exhibit like this is boring. It's great information, but it's not something that you're going to want to return to. And the, the, the exhibit needs to be dynamic. It needs to have changeability if you can. So you can say, hey, folks, in six months, come back. We'll have a new exhibit. So that brings people back. And in the tourism, you know, I mean, in the tourism industry, you know what I mean. Grandma's in from Denver. And you want to take her out somewhere, and you go to Warther's Museum. Warther's Museum is a great example of an absolutely wonderful place. There's so much dynamics there as far as uh, exhibitry goes. You go to Denison Depot. You go to so many that are local that they're constantly doing new stuff, and it's kind of fun. It's really just great. Uh, but I think it's really important. You need to give people a reason to come back. And there are many exhibits that don't do that. And that's what I try to do is make it so they do. So it's got to be aesthetically pleasing. It's got to be educational. It's got to be fun. And uh, hopefully you'll, you'll get something out of it. George, if listeners want to learn more about your work, how can they do that? Is there a website they can go to, a phone yeah. number they can call? Yeah, we're fairly uh, available. We, we're on Facebook, uh, and that's just uh, yeah, Museum Acrylics. Just look it up. Uh, our website is www.museumacrylics.com. And, it, it, you know, and our email is, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, uh, uh, musacrylic.aol.com, and you can call 330-364-5757. You know, I've been in this business long enough where, at the risk of not sounding too humble, people come to me not, a lot of times. I mean, I do advertise, uh, but it's really good having a, a good reputation, <laughs> luckily. George, thank you so much for your time. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Zach. Check out Museum Acrylics on Facebook or give them a call at 330-364-5757 to learn more about George's work. You can find out more about all the attractions we talked about today at the Tuscarawas County Convention and Visitors Bureau's website, www.traveltusk.com, or by calling 1-800-527-3387. If there's someone you'd like to hear on the other side of Tusk, you can let me know at office at traveltusk.com. I'm Zach Rusk. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the other side of Tusk.